Well, could I welcome you to the service of worship? Let us sing to God's praise from Psalm 130 and the Sing Psalms version. If you're using the Blue Book, it's page 173. Lord, from the depths I call to you. Lord, hear me from on high and give attention to my voice when I for mercy cry. Lord, in your presence, who can stand if your sins recall? But yet forgiveness is with you, that we may fear you, Lord. Let us sing the whole psalm. Lord, from the depths, I call to you. Lord, the depths, to thee I cry. 
and we recognize from the account that he gives that he considered his sin to be the main reason as to why he found himself in the depths. But despite how deep these depths might have been, they could not erase the voice that cried out to Almighty God for deliverance as one who had experience of deliverance in the past. And so he cried out to the great deliverer whom he alone knew could effect deliverance again in his experience as he reflected upon the holiness of God. Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquity, who could stand? Who could indeed stand? But yet with thee there is forgiveness. Oh, we thank thee that there is forgiveness with thee, forgiveness that is based upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that thy servant of old could speak of those who had been redeemed from their futile ways, ways they had inherited, that they were redeemed not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, a Lamb that is without spot and without blemish. And so we thank thee today for the efficacy of the cry of the shed blood within the veil. Sprinkle it upon our hearts. Bless each home and family as we are found in thy presence here. And bless any who are unable to be present through thy restraint and providence. Be gracious to those who may be in their homes today or in residential care or in a hospital ward. Those who may yearn to be in the house of God but are unable to because of illness or advancing years. Minister to them where they are. Bless the minister of the congregation during this time of illness. Restore him to a measure of health and strength and bring him back to his duties within the congregation. Bless the ministry of the truth within the congregation and may many souls be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us today as we reflect upon thy word. Cleanse in the blood. In Jesus' name we ask it with forgiveness of sin. Amen. Now just a word to the younger listeners. Fifty years ago or so, probably the age of your grandparents rather than your parents. At least 50 years ago, I, along with two others, we bought a boat in Miavigenuig. It was our next ship's lifeboat. It had a petrol paraffin engine. And uh, 
we came across on a Friday evening to take it round to Stornoway. We left Miavik probably between 9 and 10 in the evening, by the time we had loaded with fuel and so on. And we sailed, uh, or we motored, uh, along the sea to uh, the quay at Briasglid, where the gentleman we had bought the boat from was put ashore. It was dark then. I had never been to sea. I had only been pottering about in small boats, but never on sea. Only one of the three had any sea experience. He had been with his father on a fishing boat. And so we came out Loch Rogue, it was pitch dark, and we came up the sea here, pitch dark, thankfully. Ah, it's amazing what ignorance does. By the time we got to the butt of Lewis lighthouse, we were just following the lighthouses and keeping the lighthouse to our starboard side as we came up. Boat had a shallow draft, thankfully. It's about maybe 20-25 feet long with a deck and a small wheelhouse aft. And coming round the butt of Lewis lighthouse, I was on the wheelhouse. It was my turn to steer the boat. I don't think the captain of an ocean liner could have been prouder as I came round the butt of Lewis lighthouse drinking a mug of hot soup. And we arrived in Stornoway Harbour without mishap uh, about maybe 11 to 12 in the day. So all night we were on this boat. I don't remember that I had a life jacket and I couldn't swim. And so when daylight came and we were up round about Dell, out from Dell, when you went into the trough of the wave, you couldn't see anything except the wave in front and the wave behind. When you were on the top of the wave, you could see the houses ashore and so on. Fortunately, the weather was good. And the point of the story is this. In ignorance, you do many things. Things perhaps you shouldn't do, and when I look back today, I shudder. But the three of us who engaged in that voyage are still alive. The boat has not survived. We had many escapades with it, even taking parties out in Stornoway to fish with it. But one winter, uh, it floundered in a storm. And maybe that was just as well before we floundered with it. Ignorance. There's a character in the classic book of John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, and his name is Ignorant. And Ignorant thought he was well equipped to get to heaven. He was wise in his own eyes, and a lot of us are like that. We think we know what is to be known. But you know, the fatal flaw with ignorant was he hadn't entered the journey by the narrow gate. In other words, he hadn't trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. He thought by his own doings 
that he could arrive at the celestial city. But he couldn't. And sometimes we are like that. We think that we can get to heaven by what we do ourselves. But we have to trust in Jesus Christ if we want to get to heaven. It's the only way to get into glory is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So perhaps as you remember a trio who pattered up the coast here in that small boat largely unaware of the dangers and so on you may like to care to think of the journey that you have started on through life and one day it will come to an end maybe a long time from now but the question is where will it end if you trust in Christ you know where that journey will end. You are assured of being with him. Let us again now sing to God's praise from, this time from Psalm 69. And that's on page 305, if you're using the psalm book. Save me, O God, because the floods do so invite me, that even unto my very soul come in, the waters be. I downward in deep mire to sink, where standing there is none. I am into deep waters come, where floods have o'er me gone. I weary with my crying am, my throat is also bright, mine eyes do fail, while for my God I waiting to abide. Those men that do without a cause bear hatred unto me, than are the hairs upon my head, in number more they be. Let us sing these verses. Save me, O God. Save me, O God, because of Oh. Uh-huh.
Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And so on. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his truth. Let us further sing to his praise from Psalm 107, page 143 of the Psalter, if you're using the Psalter. Oh, thank the Lord, for he is good. His love endures always. Let those whom God redeems say this, those rescued by his grace. He saved them from their enemies. Brought them from the land, from east and west, from north and south, safe from oppressing hands. Some wandered in the desert wastes, not finding any way to reach a city where they might obtain a place to stay. Their life and strength were ebbing fast, in thirst and emptiness, then in despair they sought the Lord who saved them from distress. Let us sing these verses. Oh, thank the Lord, for he is good. Oh, thank the Lord, for he Some went down to the sea in ships, 
doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, and so on. The psalmist in this psalm exhorts members of the whole community to give thanks to the Lord. That includes every one of us. And the primary reason that the psalmist gives this exhortation is that God is good. That is something that is unchanging. God is always good, whatever our perception might be. And sometimes our perception is that God is our enemy and not our friend. But God is always good. And the evidence that God is good, the psalmist says here, is the enduring steadfast of covenant love of God. His faithfulness to a people who are frequently wayward, but he remains constantly faithful to his covenant. Read the opening verse of the psalm again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. According to Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, it is a mark of the unregenerate that they neither glorify God as God nor give thanks to him. That, however, does not excuse any one of us from praising the Lord. And if you ask me why, because every person, whether we recognize it or not, we are the recipients of God's common grace. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But then you note that in the opening verses, there is a particular group addressed by the psalmist. And they of all people should give praise to God. They are called the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in. And the implication there is let them unceasingly, continuously give praise. The redeemed of the Lord. It has a particular ring to it. In other places, they are spoken of as the ransomed of the Lord. They are the objects of divine love. Those who have been bought back by their kinsman, Redeemer. Just as Boaz, in the book of Romance and the book of Ruth, purchased Ruth, so the Boaz of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, has bought back the redeemed. And what is more, his own death was the purchase price. The redeemed, a people delivered from the power of evil and the forces of darkness. The redeemed, a liberated people. You know, perhaps you've seen images in the media of... Uh, people liberated from the dominion 
of hostile forces. The sheer joy that you see in their faces that characterizes those who have been liberated in a very literal way. How much more so in the lives of the spiritually redeemed. Whatever the causes of sorrow arising during their lifetime, they are spoken of by the prophet Isaiah as returning to Zion with singing. The ransomed of the Lord shall return Come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, sorrow and sign shall flee away. It's a picture of, of great rejoicing, for their sorrows are no more. There are many of the redeemed already in glory. Shorter Catechism reminds us that the souls of believers do immediately pass into glory. And you may be present today. And you enjoyed fellowship until the time of parting came with those oh, whose souls are today in glory. And perhaps in your mind and in your thoughts you still go to where they are. But your vision is so dim and your understanding still largely in darkness. They have been delivered from trial and gathered in to redeem them, whether still in this life or in the nearer presence of Christ, surely have much cause to praise the Lord for his goodness, for their experience of his steadfast covenantal love towards them. The redeemed of the Lord, they are a special group, they are a blessed group, and perhaps we ought to ask ourselves, can we find ourselves among them today? And if you can't, would you like to be among those who are termed the redeemed? Well, the psalmist in developing his theme of faithful covenant love and redemption sets before us four poetic pictures in the psalm. And each picture is a, a poetic picture of providence which causes deep, harrowing distress in the lives of these groups of people who are because of the differing providences persuaded to turn to God in prayer. People who in each of the pictures that are drawn for us experience miraculous divine deliverance from their trying providences. The first group that he mentions are a people who are homeless or lost wanderers. The second picture, people in prison. Third picture, people who are sick or in hospital. And the fourth picture, the one that I wish to focus on today, people in a storm. Many commentators consider this picture to be the most beautiful, the most poetic, and certainly the most stirring section of the psalm. Well, I leave that to yourselves to judge. But it is certainly a most graphic account of the dangers 
that beset those who are on the ocean waves in storm conditions. And there are several points that I wish to highlight from this graphic word picture as given to us by the psalmist. The first thing I'd like to highlight is the place of the storm. It takes place in deep waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. Now let me say I have never personally in the physical sense been in more stormy waters uh, apart from my journey up the coast here than the Minch and that was sufficient for me. One or two occasions when I was glad to step ashore and find my feet on unmoving terra firma. An old and experienced fisherman, he's in his 90s today, told me of one particular minch crossing. When he was on a fishing boat, he crossing from, I think, from Lochinver to Stornoway Harbour. He was never so glad to see the harbour lights. And I can imagine that the attraction of the safety suggested by the harbour lights is something that many seafarers can relate to. For this now elderly fisherman, the sea conditions that prevailed that night were horrendous. At times they were losing steerage. And he said, you know, no one in the crew was giving voice to their fears. No one was saying to another, well, I'm afraid we're not going to make it or anything like that. They were keeping their fears suppressed. Well, the psalmist pictures for us here a storm in the vast, turbulent, deep oceans of the world, which must be an altogether terrifying experience, even for the most seasoned, adventurous and experienced seamen. A great storm, for example, in the life of John Newton was instrumental under God in bringing him to Christ. He expected that every time the ship descended into the trough of the wave that it would not rise again as he and others struggled with the pumps to keep pumping the water that threatened to swamp them. The 21st day of March, 1748, remained indelibly etched on his mind, so that he wrote, he never let the date pass unnoticed. On that date, he says, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. However, what I understand from each of the pictures in this psalm is that although they may allude to a literal, physical experience, they are primarily to be understood, not in the literal sense, but in the spiritual. We know from other places in the psalms that the psalmist found himself in the depths. The very first psalm we sang today speaks of that. In another psalm he speaks of 
his soul been cast down within him. And he relates his experience in this way, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me, as if he were submerged by massive seas. Such was his assessment of his spiritual experience at that particular time. He was in the depths. That brings at times a feeling of abandonment. For you find him writing, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? What a distressing experience for any child of grace to be in a situation where they feel forgotten by God. On another occasion we find the psalmist crying out, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mind where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I have come into deep waters. Now, the description there could be applied to that of a drowning man or one stuck in the mire under the waters at the absolute end of his endurance, at the end of his rope, so to speak. And although it is expressive in the first part of the psalm's own life, the psalm, Psalm 69, is a messianic psalm, and in the highest sense, is prophetic. It speaks of the experience of Jesus going down into the ocean of divine wrath where no human eye could follow him, but where the eye of the divine judge constantly monitored him. And when we are plunged into such depths, in the spiritual sense, there is often perplexity, isn't there? We ask why. Even Jesus himself could ask the question why, let alone the perplexed and, and bewildered believer. And there may be many reasons for you being in the depths. We saw in the first psalm that we sang that the psalmist considered his sin was the reason for his being in the depths. There may be other things in your providence that may you know, bring you into the depths. Maybe a debilitating illness. It may be the loss of a loved one, where death has come and invaded the family circle and left you devastated and plunged in the depths. Your depths too may arise from your assessment of your own spiritual status as you look within your own heart. Perhaps you are here today and you are saying with the prodigal, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That can be very difficult. Where you feel yourself plunged under the waves and where you consider yourself that you no longer enjoy the status of sonship. You are in deep waters. Perhaps you were saying, I can't even pray right now. Can't even open my Bible and concentrate on the scripture. I can't read from one verse to the next without losing my concentration. I'm so burdened. I'm so cast down. I'm so in the depths. I can't sink straight. I don't feel as if God is, is hearing my prayers. Well, the psalmist speaks about these kind of experiences in the depths. 
So if you felt yourself in that situation, or if you feel yourself in that situation today, you are not alone. Thousands of years ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist wrote down precisely that kind of personal account in his own experience. He was in the depths. He was begging for God to hear him. In deep waters, it suggests a picture of fearful isolation of being cut off in the middle of a vast ocean with no source of help or safety. Can you relate to it? So that's the place of the storm. But then secondly note the producer of the storm. What causes the storm to rise up? And you might be surprised at the answer that is given by the psalmist. It's not a quirk of nature. It has nothing to do with climate change. It is God. He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. And so you see, the psalmist is drawing attention to the action of a a sovereign God. The Bible reminds us that the Lord reigns, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. He is sovereign. And we are told here that the trial is ordered by the Lord. He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves. Now there are times when the Bible teaches that the Lord uses trial as a means of chastisement. One example that comes to mind is Jonah the prophet. Remember how the Lord wanted him to go to Nineveh? And Jonah disagreed with God. He found a ship, secured a passage on that ship, perhaps congratulating himself that he is on the way to achieving his goal. Everything going his way, he is attempting to run from God and from his duty. And you know, that cannot be done. But perhaps many can relate to it. Perhaps when the first strivings of the Holy Spirit uh, began in your life, you can relate to the fact that you tried to run from God and to run from what God was asking of you. As you tried to fight the strivings of the Spirit, but you were gripped by a power and a force that was much greater than yourself and you had to succumb. Well, the storm in the life of Jonah is a classic case of divine chastisement. You find written there, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. In other words, the Lord targeted the ship with precise accuracy. The storm was so great that the sailors on that boat were driven to despair. 
so great that the ship threatened to break up. And you remember the steps that took place that resulted in Jonah ultimately facing up to his duty. So chastisement may be the motive for the storm if you are going through a storm today. At other times God may decree trial to test your faith. Peter in his letter writes, though now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You remember how that was illustrated in the life of Abraham. In the book of Genesis you find after these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there as a burnt offering, one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And for three days they travelled to the appointed place. No mention of conversation. The impression created is that, that Abraham was deeply preoccupied, taken up with his thoughts. Wouldn't we all? In that kind of, of situation. Can you imagine the silent, unexpressed thoughts of this man of God? The turmoil in his mind. God wants me to offer the son of promise. The son whom going to bless, through whom I'm going to bless many nations. How can that take place? What a trial, what a storm in the life of this man in the evening of his life. And what is it that shines through the storm? Is it not the obedience of faith in the life of Abraham? Remember when the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And you remember the response of this man. He said, here I am. And you ask yourself, where was Abraham? Was he trying to avoid what was being asked of him? Oh no. He was in the very place where God had asked him to be. Engaged in the very act which God had called him to. He was in the place of obedience. Does you and I meet with the storms of life? Are we too in the place of obedience? At other times... The storm may arise when following divine instructions. That is no guarantee that you will be exempt from storm or from trial. You may be in the path of obedience and still face trial. You remember the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. They were acting in accord with the instruction of the Lord Jesus himself. And you remember their reaction at the height of the storm. They woke Jesus with the cry, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Seasoned fishermen among them, but they feared for their lives. Teacher, do you not care? 
Is that not sometimes our reaction to? Do you not care about your child? And you know, his very presence with them in the storm was evidence of his great care for them. We may be unaware of his presence with us in the storm, unaware of his nearness to us in the storm. You see, storms are a means used by God to make your faith strong. He makes your faith strong through trial and testing. Well, the storm was in the deep and the storm was produced by God. And then you have a picture of the storm given to us by the psalmist. And the picture demonstrates to us the power of the storm. The psalmist says, they mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Such was the effect of the storm, they were at their wit's end, as if they were losing their sense of direction. And it's a picture of grave danger. Their courage melted away in their evil plight, or as it might be paraphrased, in their peril, their courage melted away. There was fear in the face of grave danger. Perhaps they had once been carefree and bold. But now in the reality of peril, their courage melted away. The frailty and the fragility of human courage it melts away. And there is also implied in this picture the image of, of total lack of control and the breakdown of rational ability. You know, even crossing the minch on a, on, a, on, a, on a stormy day, your limbs seem to have a mind of their own, don't they? You stagger this way and that. And at a glance you can tell the seafarer from the non-seafarer. They walk so confidently. They don't have any difficulty huh, walking down the heaving deck like the passenger. And in this picture, those who were depicted were at the mercy of the storm, humanly speaking. They were lifted up by the waves that it felt as if they were suspended in mid-air, mounted up to heaven, then down into the trough as if never rise again. They went down to the depths. They were like a twig in a whirlpool. And you've probably at one time or another seen, seen boats on the waters just out there in storm conditions. And when they go down into the trough of the wave, you can hardly see the masthead. And you wonder if they will rise again. And the impression created by the word pictured here of the psalmist is that they were helpless. They were at their wit's end. At their wit's end. Picture of man doing his all but exhausted on the storm wind, rages still. It reminds me of something I read oh, many years ago. And for the life of me, I can't remember who the author was. 
Are you standing at wit's end corner, Christian with troubled brow? Are you thinking of what is before you and all you are bearing now? Does all the world seem against you and you in the battle alone? Remember, at wit's end corner is just where God's power is shown. Are you standing at wit's end corner, blinded with weary pain, feeling you cannot endure it, you cannot bear the strain, bruised, though bruised through constant suffering, dizzy and dazed and dull, remember at wit's end corner is where Jesus loves to come. Are you standing at wit's end corner, your work before you spread, all line begun and finished, pressing on heart and head, longing for strength to do it, stretching out trembling hands? Remember, at wit's end corner, the burden bearer stands. Are you standing at wit's end corner? Then you're just in the very spot to learn the wondrous resources of him who faileth not. No doubt to a brighter pathway your footsteps will soon be moved, but only at wit's end corner is the God who is able proved. And you know, sometimes it takes a storm, storm being the equivalent of trial, to see God. The God who lets you get frightened enough to need him and then comes close enough for you to see him. And when that happens, you'll never be the same again. How can I be so sure? For this very reason, he has promised never to leave, nor to forsake. He never breaks a promise. So the picture of the storm, the producer of the storm, the place of the storm. And that leads to prayer in the storm. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble. Adversity frequently awakens prayer. And you notice that is a feature of all the pictures that we are given in the psalm. Verse 6, they cry to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 13, they cry to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 19, they cry to the Lord in their trouble. They have learned that there can be no deliverance without going to God. Their own resources were futile. They have discovered the, the feebleness and the inadequacy of their own resources. So there's a, an urgency and a passion in their crying as they turn to the living God. The very one who has delivered them in the past is the one to whom they turn in the present. Is there that spirit of prayer in your life and mine today? Do we knock and knock with urgency on the door of grace and mercy, pleading and wrestling with the Most High 
for that deliverance that can only be effected by the power of omnipotence. Prayer, and then there's peace in the storm. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And the impression is that the calm was created in an instant. They go from turbulence to calm, from panic to peace. The sea, the sea still, the winds hushed. Now, in the natural sphere, you know that that doesn't happen. It can take days for the heaving sea to settle after a storm. In fact, in the middle of a storm, it's very difficult to envisage calm, isn't it? But you remember how Christ, majestically and with divine authority, stilled the waters of the Sea of Galilee. One moment the disciples tossed about the waves, threatening to swamp their open boat, and the next, as if they were in a mill pond. Such was the calm of the waters around them. He rebuked the wind said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And you remember the reaction of the disciples was one of great fear. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? The awesome power of omnipotence. Peace in the storm. It sounds a paradox, doesn't it? And yet perhaps you've met people where their providence has been extremely painful and difficult. And you've been amazed at their serenity. And perhaps you've tried to place yourself in their position and, and to, to face their peculiar trial with a measure of serenity. And you cannot. And you ask yourself, what is it that enables them to face such trying and difficult providence in this way? Is it not that they are enjoying the peace of God even in the midst of trial, in the storm? That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the product of the work of the Spirit in the soul of man. But then there's another, the time is going, the purpose of the star. He guides them to a haven, to the very place that they required after the trauma of the star. How welcome the peace and security of the haven. No more stress. And I said already that perhaps often we ask the question, why? Why the trial? Why the storm? And the answer that you find in this psalm is in order to be prepared to enter the safe haven. God uses trial to prepare you to enter the safety of the haven. Brought to the sanctuary, ultimately of eternal bliss. And you notice, it's a desired haven. It's something that they long for.
because there is safety from the storm or because there is tranquility in the haven. You may argue that that is why they want to be there. But primarily, they desire to be in the haven because they are with Christ. They are with Christ. Those who have been brought into Christ, they want and they long to be with Christ in the blissful confines of glory. The place of the storm, the producer of the storm, prayer in the storm, picture of the storm, prayer in the storm, peace in the storm, the purpose of the storm, finally praise after the storm. There's thanksgiving for what God has done. There is recognition of the power that is exerted by the Lord in his marvellous deliverance. Yes, you thank him when he delivered you initially, brought you out of darkness into his marvellous light. It was a reason for thanksgiving on your part. You thank the Lord for his covenant love, for his wondrous work. Oh, there is nothing so becoming. The children of God as public acknowledgement of God's unmerited favour and his unfathomable goodness to you. Have you not great cause to thank him for his faithful covenant love, for his wondrous works? Can you say today with the psalmist, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditations be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. But perhaps you haven't had experience of the gracious work of God. Perhaps you're here today still in darkness. Oh, will you not pray? To ask him to enter your life, that you too may know something of the wonderful power of his grace and the extent of that grace in your life. Place of the storm, producer of the storm, picture of the storm, prayer of the storm, peace on the storm, the purpose and the praise. Let us pray. O oh, eternal and ever blessed we thank thee that whatever storms may be in the life of thy children, whatever trials they experience, that at length out of them all the Lord delivers his people. O oh, grant that we might be found today looking to him, the great deliverer, and the glory shall be thine. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Our concluding praise is from Psalm 107.
Psalm 107, page 384, if you're using the, the blue book. At verse 26, they mount to heaven, then to the depths they do go down again. Their soul doth faint and melt away with trouble and with pain. They reel and stagger, like one drunk at their wit's end they be. Then they to God in trouble cry, for them from straits doth free. The storm is changed into a calm, and his command and will, that the waves which raged before now quiet are and still. Then are they glad, because at rest and quiet now they be. So to the haven he them brings, which they desired to see. These verses they mount to heaven, then to the depths they do go down again. <coughs> Amen.